0: We have an amazing text in this series, Word-Rooted Prayer and Worship, Keeping Your Heart Close to the Flame. This is part 13 that we're into tonight. I want to talk to you about why wholeheartedness in worship isn't enough. And that might be a surprising title to uh, a lot of us, because especially in Pentecostal charismatic circles, I think we... we come to that conviction that worship is a matter of the heart, which it is, and that a full, passionate heart of worship is, is what God expects, and he does, is that all he expects? And is there something else that might be missing? And does it matter? That's what we're looking at tonight. And I think you'll find this kind of a surprising story. I've got a long text, all right? I want to read the whole account because we're going to draw from all of it in the teaching time. So it's 2 Samuel, chapter 6, and I'm going to read 23 verses. So uh, buckle up, all right? David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and I'll, I'll do a bit of background when I'm done reading. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Beel Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. They had left it there 20 years. We studied that last week. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets, cymbals. This is a big deal, big celebration. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Thought it was going to fall off the cart. Reaches out to steady it. Seven. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Yikes. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth at Uzzah. He's angry at God. And that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. I'll talk about that. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the Ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to King David... The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed them among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before his eyes, the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She's not happy. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. And then this gentle reminder, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. Ouch. And above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will make merry before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, Had no child to the day of her death. And you finish the passage and you just go, wow. What an account. It's like, it's like one of those funny mirrors at the circus. Nothing looks the way it's supposed to look. The lessons seem all backward to what we would expect there was ever a time when the word of God feels like a sword, I mean, this is one of them. It just kind of stabs our attention, cuts away some of our cherished assumptions, cuts away some of our misconceptions. No one gets the reactions we expect from God. David, dancing and worship in a linen ephod doesn't look very king-like. It's true. Something seems impropriate, like there's an impropriety there. Worship Worship should be dignified. It doesn't look very reverent to many of us, and yet God seemed pleased with it. Michael instantly rushes in to protect the reverence of worship. She doesn't hate God. She loves God. She thinks David's extremism is unworthy of God. And we think, you know, good good for Michael. We need people to keep worship anchored in soundness and dignity. But then God judges her for the wicked words that come out of her mouth. In judgment that is probably meant to picture more than just a lack of children, her critical attitude leads to her perpetual barrenness, 23. And even those things aren't what bother us the most. Perhaps most of all, God seems unfair to Uzzah. I mean... We all know that the main cause of offending God is the exercise of our wicked wills in opposition to his will, rebellion. That's the root of all wickedness. And God's wrath, Paul says, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So far, so good. But our text seems to record a different situation altogether, and God still gets mad. Uzzah isn't rebelling against God. He's trying to protect the ark of God. He isn't trying to dishonor God. He's concerned about God's glory. He doesn't want the ark rolling around in the muck. That's all he does. God strikes him dead. Doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem fair. But maybe we've gone too quickly. Maybe there are more details than we see at first glance. And so I want you to think back, if you were here, think back a little bit to last week's teaching and consider how Judah lost an enormous battle with the Philistines and then remember how Judah mistakenly assumed that the reason she lost the battle with the Philistines is that she didn't have the ark with her. Of course, that wasn't the reason at all. The real problem was the carelessness with regard to their worship under Eli, the priest, and his sons. The worship had become corrupt. you remember we studied that? And the people came before the Lord just any old way they chose. They were selfish. They were disobedient. It started in the priesthood, and it's worked it, its way down. They didn't keep God's laws, and God punished them for it. That's why they lost the battles. And then Judah took the ark along into battle, thinking that that would bring victory. The ark was captured by the Philistines, remember? Judah was again defeated, second time. The glory of the Lord departs from Judah. The ark is captured by the Philistines. They put it in their temple with Dagon, remember? And the Dagon idol falls over and over again. The people get sick and the Philistines say, that's it, we're getting this ark out of here. They put it on a cart. They send it home. The oxen immediately head toward Judah. The ark comes to rest at the house of Abinadab. That's where our account picked up today. It sat there for 20 years, and no one in Judah even missed it. Not David, not anybody. All of those details we studied, 1 Samuel 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. That's the point at which we pick up today's text. It's while the ark is being brought back from the house of Abinadab, where it had been for 20 years, David's bringing it back. And it's on that trip that all of these incidents take place. And I'm thinking there must be lessons in here. The Holy Spirit includes this account in inspired scripture. We'll see how far we get. I think I'm going to look at one this week and maybe two next Sunday. So point number one, you all with me? A passion for worship without an accompanying passion for knowledge is a dangerous thing. Think carefully about it. Why? Why does Uzzah reach out to steady the ark? Well, it's obvious, Pastor Don. The text tells us he was trying to keep it from falling off the cart. That's in verses 6 and 7. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died before the ark of the Lord. Seems simple enough at first glance. The oxen stumbled, verse 6. Ark probably hit a rut or a stone, and Uzzah couldn't bear to see the Ark of God topple over into the dirt. But wait a minute. Why was the Ark of God on that cart being pulled by oxen? You see, God had given pretty specific instructions. He knew the ark would have to be moved eventually from one place to another. And so he gave instructions about how the ark was to be moved. If you want to see an example of it, it's recorded in several places, but just to save time, Numbers chapter 4, 15 to 20. Is that in your notes? Wow. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary, now they're Being given instructions. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Korhath shall come to carry these. But you must not touch the holy things lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Korath are to carry. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, shall have charge over the oil for the light, the fragrant incense, the regular grain offering, the anointing oil with the oversight of the whole tabernacle and all that is in it, of the sanctuary and its vessels. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites, but deal thus with them and give the instructions. The ark was to be carried on those poles on the shoulders. God says, carry the ark. Don't touch the ark. The ark was to be carried. It was never to be placed on a cart. It was never to be pulled by cattle or oxen. Well, Pastor Don, I mean, who, who cares? Does it really matter? How important can it be to carry the ark one way instead of another? As long as it gets from point A to point B, what difference can how it's transported possibly make? Well, ask Uzzah. Four times, God warns that if the ark was touched by human hands, it would bring immediate death. Now, pause. Think back to what we studied last week. This all links up. Why would David put the Ark of the Lord on a cart? What would have generated that idea in his mind? And there's only one answer to that question. Abinadab probably told David and his men how the Ark of the Lord had come to them. That's what the Philistines did. They put the ark on a cart with the oxen and they sent it to the border of Judah and it seemed to work fine. There were no problems. So that's what David did. David followed the pattern passed on to him instead of studying the instructions of God's word. You getting it? He follows the pattern that was passed on to him Rather than taking the time to reread and relearn the instructions God had given in his word. Please don't make the mistake of thinking we're just studying ancient history in this text. Here's the issue. Here's the issue for Cedarview and churches all across Canada. Is sincerity in worship enough? Is passion in worship enough? Well, it is for a lot of churches. Is all well just because we approach God with loving hearts? For that matter, is worship just a heart? issue, as many people think in today's church. How important is knowledge when we approach God? How important is understanding? I get it. Worship has to be more than just some mental exercise. There should be passion in worship. My question is different. My question is, what are the roots out of which worship starts to grow? How much does it matter? that we take the time to learn God's ways in worship. We're going to be studying worship for the next 10 weeks. Why would we do that? Let's just worship him already. Or to put the question in a slightly different way, how, how destructive is ignorance when we approach God, even if our hearts mean well? Ask Uzzah. How important that we approach God in his way rather than in our way. You see, this account is striking because nobody nobody is trying to do anything bad. Nobody was doing anything that looked bad as they danced and sang and praised their way in joyous celebration in front of the ark. Nobody was thinking any bad thoughts about God. Everybody loved God. Everybody was celebrating God's greatness, God's goodness, God's glory. Except for Michael. No one had any ill intent whatsoever in any of the hearts. And it ends up disastrous. Uzzah ends up dead. Dead at the hand of God. Let me ask the question again. When we're considering praise, worship, how important is knowledge? How important are God's instructions? How important is doctrine in the songs that we sing? How important are the worship instructions in the Bible when we gather to worship the Lord? Who needs all this study? Worship is about the heart, Pastor Don. It's not about the head. You know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Really? Is that that it? Is it just the heart? Or is there more to it? And I think that story about Uzzah is the Holy Spirit's way of putting two truths up on the uh, screens in our craniums. Here's the way I see it. A. Enthusiasm by itself. Those are the important words. There's nothing wrong with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm by itself won't make God happy with my worship. It's right to be enthusiastic, passionate. There should be an emotional quality to our worship. My goodness. If, if, if a husband tells a wife that he loves her, but the emotions are never engaged, you know, he comes home from wherever he's been and he sees his wife and he goes, sweetheart, I love you. Good scene. No, you expect, if there's love there, you, you, you expect the emotions to be engaged. Same with our worship of God. There has to be passion. There has to be an, an emotional quality. These people were, enthousi- were enthusiastic. They were passionate. They were full of joy. And there was nothing wrong with any of that. God is never against passion and worship. I believe he requires it. There's, but there is something else. While these people were passionate, they were also careless. And that's different. That was their problem. And Uzza teaches me that without due regard for instruction, enthusiasm by itself doesn't protect and will self-destruct. To obey... <laughs> is still better than sacrifice. And those famous words were spoken to Saul regarding the practice of his worship before the Lord. So that's A, enthusiasm by itself won't make God happy with my worship. B, I don't have to intend anything evil to dishonor God and invite his displeasure. That's how we normally think of God's anger. I rebel. Really, it's not what's happening here. Not consciously. Judy, Judah, Judy, yeah. Judah was guilty for what she was doing, even though she was probably at that moment totally unaware of her guilt. She was guilty of what she was doing, even though at that moment she was probably totally unaware of her guilt. David and the people of Judah either forgot about the instructions of the ark, probably that's what happened, or they never took the time to learn the instructions in the first place. Those seem to be the only two options because we know God did give clear instructions about moving the ark. The fact that David resented God's action is made clear, 2 Samuel 6, 8, David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzza to this day. Perez Uzzah means the break, the break, the breach of Uzzah. I hope you can see the drift in what God's doing there, that telling term. There's great peril in marginalizing the importance of knowing God's instructions, particularly in worship. This text tells me that it has to do with making and breaking lives, that we know how to worship God's way. Take note that no one on the scene Seem to understand why God acted the way he acted. That's striking to me. I mean, there's no corporate awareness of any kind of worship blunder happening here. Nobody. Even David, the king after God's own heart, can't figure it out. Everybody's surprised. There's no corporate awareness problem isn't with God. problem was elsewhere. It's highly relevant that the careless attitudes people can form to the learning of worship, even in the church today, can have bad effects. We, we start to see that worship isn't just something that is done. Before that, worship is something that is learned. Worship isn't just something that is done. Come on, people, let's worship. Before that, worship is something that must be learned. What was happening in the minds of all the people of Judah during those 20 years where the ark was left deserted at the house of Abinadab. God didn't make anybody go get it. If they didn't want to go get it, they didn't have to go get it. They could just leave it, sit there. God didn't seem to punish his people for not showing the presence due regard. Get a picture though, what's happening in this account. There's a big picture to see and it's frequently repeated in today's church. While the people are free to ignore the Ark of the Lord, that picture, that Old Testament picture of God's divine presence, they're free to ignore it. There's something else happening that's beyond their control. God's instructions were slipping away from their awareness. It took a long time, 20 years. Nobody's been studying about the Ark. Nobody's been taking the time to look it up. Nobody's been taking the time to teach it to anybody else. God's instructions were slipping away from the adult's awareness. The parents and then the parents' children were gradually training themselves to think about life without reference to God's instructions. 20 years living without reference to God's instructions. They weren't learning about God's ways. It it, it takes no effort at all to unlearn the instructions of the Lord. But one way or another, this is how lives are either held together or broken, breach, break of Uzzah. So yes, they were free to ignore God's instructions. They were free to worship according to their own whims, their schedules, their inclinations. God didn't check their homework to see if there were inclining their minds to his word. But in all of life, including religious devotion, there are consequences to following our own inclinations and ignoring God's instructions. You see, dancing and singing and shouting and playing before the ark won't help if I don't know the instructions about the ark. And that takes a bit of effort. The lifting of hands. You would be amazed how many people are encouraged to lift their hands in worship, and it's biblical, but really don't know why. What does this do? What is it for? What does it mean? Offering verbal praise. What should be said? Does the congregation do it together? Does it matter if nobody does it? Because in most churches, no one does. Outside of the music, no one does. How important is that? Does God say anything about it? See, these are the things we're going to study. We're going to learn. Partaking of the Lord's Supper. Prayer groups. The content of the words to the songs that we sing. It takes time to relearn that None of these things that I just listed, not one of them is left to personal taste in the scriptures. Not one of them. We're told about these things. There are thousands of Christians who forget this. If I don't take time to learn God's ways, I will fail the Lord without knowing that I'm failing the Lord, but I will still be accountable for that failure. I just won't know why my spiritual life isn't getting any traction. That's why, by the way, and I'm wrapping up, it's with with the the deepest sense of meaning. Jesus said, "It's, it's the truth that will set people free. Not our emotions, not our sincerity the truth do be passionate about your worship of God but let that passion arise from the root of truth known in the depths of your heart let your mind warm your heart let your mind warm your heart and then, your heart, fire, your worship. And that will keep everything about our lives. Word-Rooted, the title of the series, Word-Rooted Prayer and Worship. Bless, Lord Jesus, the truth of this study, these words that will be We'll be analyzing and studying for weeks to come. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our love for your word extends to how we worship. That that North American, particularly that North American myth, that it's it's just up to us with our hearts. As long as our hearts are sincere, whatever, whatever we want to do is acceptable. Drive that myth from our hearts and keep all of our worship anchored in the teaching of your word, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.